in the room. We're very excited about that and seeing faces in here and also joining us downstairs. We're glad that you all are downstairs. If you're downstairs, do me this favor. I'm going to count to three, and I want you all to give a big Ric Flair. Woo! Okay, so one, two, three. All right, well, we're so excited that you guys are down there. And, of course, those of you who are watching us at home, uh, we are glad that y'all are joining us today. Uh, we uh, hope that you turn in your devices or on your, in your Bibles to Romans. Uh, we are beginning a new series, and we're going to be going through at least chapter 9 through the summer. And so if you would join me there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, today we're going to be reading Romans 1 through 17, 1, 1 through 17. And uh, today we want to look at, at the, the introduction, so to speak, of the rest of the book of the Bible of Romans. And today we're going to look at how Paul focuses on the gospel. Now the book of Romans is one of the most important uh, books that is in our Bible. It, it brings about... Uh, Ideas such as adoption, justification by faith, many important things. Many people have been saved by reading its passages. Uh, uh, Augustine, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, John Piper, all have read Romans, and maybe even some of you in this room, uh, something that Romans has said that has warmed your heart, as John Wesley said. John Knox said this is unquestionably the most important theological work ever written. And here, as we start this road down in Romans, we're going to see how Paul intended this letter to introduce both the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, but to help clarify the gospel as we live. Now, as we think through this, this letter, Paul has written this letter uh, to the church in Rome. Now, we might not know this, but if you kind of follow along in Acts, it is clear that the church at Rome had actually begun not by an apostle and not by some great mission work, but actually normal Christians who, who were faithful to the Great Commission, who God, because of, of travel or work or, or, or goods, they moved to Rome or moved back to Rome, and they spread the gospel. And Paul had longed to begin a work, a missionary journey that would actually take him to Spain, which was the furth furthest west of the Roman Empire, to truly take the gospel to the ends of the earth, so to speak. And here, as, they, as he thinks of going to Rome, he wants to use Rome, the church at Rome, to be his base of operations, so to speak, a place where he can go, preach the gospel, teach the gospel, uh, fortify the church there in Rome, but also uh, be his base of operations as he travels westward. Now, Paul has never met uh, the Christians of Rome. He's met Priscilla and Aquila, who uh, are known to be from Rome, and he's met some, some Christians, but he wanted to introduce himself in a way before he showed up. He wanted to introduce his ministry, his apostleship, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and be clear that this is the gospel that saves. And so as we read it, I pray that as we go down this journey of Romans together, that we will be blessed as individuals and as a congregation. So let me read beginning Romans chapter 1 and begin in verse 1 as we read to verse 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To you, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, and telling the good news about his Son that I consistently mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, for I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God to be revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we begin this letter of Romans that you would use its words to strengthen your church, as Paul said to clarify the gospel for a lost world, uh, to strengthen and impart to us a spiritual gift of the knowledge of the depth and the love and the grace that is given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we sit here, as we listen, as we read the word ourselves, may you change us. May you make us new. May we praise you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, when I was a teenager, it was known that when it was snowed, a, a good snow, four to six inches or more, it was an unspoken that me and my friends would meet at a local ball field to play tackle football in the snow. We assumed that just, uh, you know, the extra snow on the ground, the padding, the, the extra layers, that surely, you know, tackling each other will not hurt or do any damage. And so it was fun, and we just knew exactly that this was what we were looking forward to do in the winter. Well, one day we, we all got the message, and, you know, then we used uh, carrier pigeons instead of text messages. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. We would call each other. I know that's strange. Uh, but uh, we would call each other. We, we would say, when are we meeting? This is the time. This is where we're going. And we all showed up and everybody picked sides and we got onto each sides. And then somebody said, who has the ball? And everybody looked around at each other and realized in all the hustle and bustle, nobody brought a ball. And what we understand is there is an important thing, that if there is no football, there is no football game. 
Uh, when there is a football as part of the game, you know where you are on the field as to where the forward progression of the football goes. You know that an incomplete pass is if someone catches the ball, you know someone scores. When the ball passes the goal line, you know that ball is the ball is the most integral part of the game. And we might have all of our cleats together, we might have all of our sides labeled, we have everything together, but if we don't have the ball, we don't really have football. You know, in the same way, we as Christians can look the part, speak the part, say the right words, carry the right Bible, do the right things, but if we don't have the gospel, we don't have the power and the words that save. As Paul begins his message, he wants to clarify both the starting point or the A to Z of our Christian life, and that is the gospel. Paul clarifies here, as you see in four times in verses 1 through 17, the word gospel or good news shows up. It is the, in the original Greek, evangelion, where we get the word evangelize or evangelism. And what we do when we evangelize is we are sharing the good news. What is the good news that is, that is translated from that word? It is full of Jesus Christ. We, Paul wants to clarify and be upfront that there is only one gospel, one good news, one word, one message that saves. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we begin these verse, first 17 verses, we see that it almost begins as the thesis for Paul's, the rest of Paul's letter. As a matter of fact, verse 16 and 17 really states the important uh, idea in which he exposits the rest of the book or, book or letter over. Paul is telling us in these words that it is by God's righteousness is shown in the gospel, and the gospel is what people must come to faith to believe. And so today, as we read, Paul starts with the gospel. We know that uh, it's unfortunate today that even in church circles, when you ask the question, what is the gospel, define it for me, that you could get many different definitions. Uh, you could say that it's charity. Some people say it's charity. Some people say it's a way we live. The gospel is, is something good. It, it's sometimes vague and sometimes it's really off track. So as we begin, even in our new members class, if those who have, who have been in this room have been part of our new members class, where do we start? The gospel. Because it's the starting point and the clarification of our faith. As Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi, he was known for a very strict of going to the fundamentals. He built a lot of champions for Green Bay, and he was known that every year it would start at the beginning, that the very important, the very first step to make sure that every player was on the same page. He said famously that he could start each, each year, that he would literally sit, pick up a football and say to everyone seriously in the room, gentlemen, this is a football. In the same way, Paul is telling us here, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only gospel that saves. 
So today we want to look at three truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at them together. If you're following along and taking notes, it's number one. It is a gospel of whom? A gospel of whom? God and Jesus. Well, the first five verses uh, declare or begin the letter by helping Paul describe his ministry, who he was. He was an apostle set apart that he was called to with a message and a purpose. We know that from other parts of the Bible that when Paul was saved, he was set apart to go with a message to the Gentiles. And as Paul says this, he says something interesting in verse 1. He says he is set apart for the gospel of God. And it's interesting because most of the time, what do we say? The gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of Jesus. It's interesting that he would begin this way with the gospel of God. Well, I believe that he does this purposefully to remind us that the gospel is not by some human ingenuity. There is no sort of way that the apostles got together and voted and said, this is this new message that we need to come forth with. Instead, Paul says, no, this is the gospel. This is the message, not of me, not of Peter, not of John, but this is the gospel of God. That this is God himself who, who began this work to reconcile his creation to himself. Think about that. The, the ultimate, ultimate message of the gospel is that there is sinful man who has rejected God and that God has worked in history to bring about man, bring about his creation back into reconciliation with himself. From the beginning, we know that God, before the foundation of the earth, has started this plan to reconcile the world through Jesus Christ. And it's reiterated here when Paul says that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see, this was not just the gospel of Jesus Christ, but of God, who foreordained, foretold through the prophets for, for thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene. And it's also a reminder to us today of how important that the message or the gospel or the word is not an invention of man, not by the words of the authors themselves, but inspired by God. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, said, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along from the Holy Spirit. So this good news, this message, is from God himself, a message delivered straight to us. But we see this message that was made by God, planned by God, sent by God, ordained by God, powered by God, put in order by God, is about another whom, Jesus Christ. And Paul continues that thought when he talks about, in verse uh, 3, concerning the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the descendant of David, according to the flesh, and was appointed the powerful Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness, 
by the resurrection of the dead. This, this words remind us that Paul is saying that this is a gospel of, from God about his son Jesus Christ. That for us to be saved, there is only one name, one person, one Savior, one Lord. And it is Jesus Christ who was both fully God and fully man. He reminds us that it is that Jesus is a flesh, a descendant of David. But he goes even further when he says that he was became the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of dead. What does this say? I, I spent some time thinking through this this week because it, it made me trip up as I was reading it. It's telling us this, that when Jesus came, both fully God and fully man, he came with a ministry, meek and mild, willing to serve, setting himself down even to the point of dying on a cross. But now, the Son of God is raised in glory. And He is the Son of God who is at the right hand of the Father in the correct place of, of reigning and ruling and saving. And this God was raised by the Holy Spirit unto the resurrection so that we know that this message is about a whom, about who is the only one who can save. You see, Today, we get a lot of mixed messages about salvation. The world will tell us from all sorts of different things, of secular hum humanism, self-help messages. We even hear the siren call of, of moralism, that if we just be a good person, it will all work out. Well, Paul begins to help us see that this is a message of a whom. Whom do you place your trust in? Whom is the Savior of the world? Whom is it that you can only turn to be saved? Imagine that if you were shipwrecked and you saw two speeding boats coming to save you. But unbeknownst to you or as you're thinking through who this is, they get closer. And from a distance you see one of them is the U.S. Coast Guard that they have put up their lives to come and save Americans and to save people and to put others in front of themselves. But the other boat is a pirate ship. Modern-day pirates that are ready to kill and loot. And, you know, we can understand that if we're on this shipwreck island, we have a choice of one of those that we can swim out to to get saved. Well, brothers and sisters, there's only one of those that will truly save. And in the same way, when we have the option of understanding a message of salvation, there's only one that truly saves, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can get confused, but we must understand that it is us putting our faith in God, in God alone, in Jesus Christ, that we can be saved. C.H. Dodd, an old theologian, said, Faith is that attitude in which acknowledging our complete inefficiency for any of the high ends of life we rely utterly on the sufficiency of God it is to cease from all assertion of the self even by way of effort after righteousness and to make room for divine initiative you see brothers and sisters it is our hope and our only hope that it is God who saves us through his son Jesus Christ we must understand that this one message, this one gospel, is of a whom 
God that created the world who is saving the world through his son, Jesus Christ. It's important we know who the real Savior is. Secondly, this gospel is a gospel to share. Obligated, eagerly, and unashamed. Verse uh, 8 through 16 or 15 uh, we see these, this understanding that Paul is desiring to go to Rome. He just keeps saying, I long to be with you. I, I want to go and be with you. He wants to encourage the saints there. He wants to encourage and reach the lost there. But in verse 14 through 16, we see this spirit in which that he sees that the gospel must be shared. He says it in three different ways, if you see in verse 14. 14, I am obligated both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Likewise, when we understand the power of the gospel, we must understand that this gospel is so good, it must be shared. As we understand what Paul is saying here, we must understand that we too are obligated and should be eager and unashamed of this gospel message. First, Paul says that he is obligated, or the literal word is indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians. Now, who are those? Well, it, it means the Greek-speaking uh, world or the, the, the knowledgeable world. The, it is almost if we just understand the uh, the Gentiles in a large group, both Greeks and barbarians. Barbarians would be who those who are outside of Greek culture. He goes on to say the both the wise and the foolish. Now it's interesting. He said the word obligated or actually indebted. Now think through that. Was Paul indebted to someone in Rome? Was it something that he felt that he owed someone back for something? No, we know that Paul had come to Christ through Jesus himself, coming on, on the road to him and, and blinding him and by faith him coming to Christ. So what does it mean that he's indebted? Well, let's think of what indebted means for a second. Uh, it can mean two ways. Uh, that Alan, I'll go to Alan and say, Alan, I need $100. Uh, give me $100 and I will pay you back. Well, if I borrow $100 from Alan, then I know that at some point I've committed to paying him back. I am indebted to Alan. Well, there could be another way that I'm indebted. That Alan is supposed to give Carrie $100. And he says, Sean, I'm going to give you $100. You're going to see Carrie first. Would you please give Carrie $100? And he hands the $100 to me. Well, then, now, who do I owe? I'm indebted to who? I'm indebted to Carrie. I, will, I owe her $100. Why? Because the $100 came to me to go to Carrie. In the same way, we are indebted to the lost world because the good news of the gospel has come to us from God that we have been saved, and now we owe it to the lost world, that they hear the same way 
that we have. We have been saved by the gospel on the way, some say, to someone else because we have been saved so that we might share the gospel with someone else, that God has planted us in his sovereign way to put us beside someone, our neighbor, our, our, our friend at school, our, our, our family member, that God has saved us so that the gospel may go forth to them. So we understand that we are obligated because of the change of the gospel saving us to share it with someone else. But we should also be eager to share the gospel. That we should be eager because the gospel is the glory of God that we can reveal to the world the greatness of who has saved us. You see, that we get to ascribe worship to God because we are bragging on God. We are getting to tell others about this wonderful God who has done a wonderful work in us. This is an act or motivation of worship to us that we can tell others how great a good God who saves us through his son. John Stott observed that the highest of all missionary motives motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated, perishing, strong as an incentive that is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God in verse 18, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, it should be in us a fire burning that, that we get to share this wonderful message of, of God and who He is, that, that we get to help others worship the same God that we worship. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. Because people aren't worshiping God. Others must come to tell them and say, no, this is the true God, the one who has given his son that is owed all your praise, glory, and honor. And therefore, it should be our zeal and honor and passion for, to get others to worship God with us. We should be eager to see what God will do as we plant the seeds of the gospel and people by faith come to know him and worship the God who loves. But like Paul, we must be unashamed. We must be unashamed. Boy, it, it's interesting that Paul would say this because it means that he probably at one point wrestled with being ashamed. Or, or at least he knows or understands that, that about living in a culture where people who say or proclaim Christ is despised. Like all human beings, we are all want to be loved and accepted by our peers. Nobody wants to be rejected. I mean, whether it was in his day, the popularity of uh, the plurality of gods in the Roman society, the Greek understanding of special knowledge or philosophy or wisdom, or even the Jewish culture that denied the resurrection of Christ, that he was the Messiah. Paul lived in a society not too much different than our own, that meant that we are a minority message, that we are a message that is not something that is easily taken in. It's offensive. It's offensive just as it was in the first century Rome as it is today. But we must be unashamed. Why is it offensive today? Well, the gospel is a free gift and undeserved. And this can be insulting to some. Because if it's free and if it's undeserving, then it offends the modern understanding of thinking that those who are moral 
or, or are decent, that it gives them some sort of leg up of those who are not moral. And if we say that it's a free gift, then it means that it has nothing to do with what I've done. Usually all this life, all this that I've done means nothing. I just receive it as a gift that can be offensive to some. The gospel is insulting because Jesus died for us. It tells us that we are so wicked that it is only the death of God's Son to save us. This offends those who are the modern cult of self-expression, understanding that there is some sort of goodness in all humanity. If, if, if people are good enough, then they can somehow save themselves. But the gospel is this, that only through Christ's death can we be saved. The gospel insults that there is no good person, that it is, we are only saved through faith. And this goes against the offense of the modern notion that any nice person can find God in his own way. You know, we really don't like for others to tell us that there's a right and a wrong way. We like to be autonomous, and especially in this day. We don't like losing control, and when someone says, no, Jesus is the only way, that offends many people. And fourthly, the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus suffering and serving. Following him means that we will both suffer and serve with him. And this offends those who think that, that salvation is a road of the easy life. And it also offends some who think that we, must, we all deserve some comfortable form of Christianity. The gospel is offensive in its very nature. But we must be reminded that we must not be ashamed. Jesus even reminded us in Mark 8, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's a reminder to us that we should be unashamed of the gospel that we're willing to stand out, that we're willing to understand that Jesus saves and be understanding that this is a solid rock for us to stand on. So how do we get to being unashamed? Well, number three, it is a gospel that saves by faith. A gospel that saves by faith. In verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 16 and 17 kind of fulfill the thesis for the rest of the book, which Paul will explain through the, the rest of the letter. And as he understands it, he says some pretty powerful things here. First of all, I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of all who believe. Paul understands that the gospel, that he believed, that he was saved, if he who had been putting Christians to death can be forgiven and all of his past can be wiped clean, he knows that this is true for everyone. He says first to the Jew and to the Greek. This is not saying that one is in the priority or, or the other, but instead the message first came through the Jews and is extending to the rest of the world that every person on the face of the earth 
hears the gospel message and can believe and be saved if they respond in faith. And so Paul says this wonderful message is a message for me, but it's a message that everyone can be saved. Paul knows this message also means that the righteousness of God can only be gained by faith. What does this mean by righteousness of God? Well, it is used in, in sort of a marketplace, ancient marketplace understanding. Let's just say a woman goes to the marketplace and approaches a merchant and that she wants to, to share or she wants to sell some grain that she has brought to the merchant. Well, the merchant would put on the scales what would be a fair share, a, a weight that would be put on one side and, and the woman would pour some grain on the other side and wait for the balance to even out. If it was still low, if the, the fair market or the fair amount of grain was not enough, the weights were heavy, then she needed to pour more until it was leveled out. And once both were balanced, then the scales were determined to be righteous, both sides equal to the other. And that is how this righteousness is being used by the Apostle Paul, that the requirement of righteousness of God must be on us the same. That this acceptance of righteousness and perfection must come from a pure holiness of God. That divine holiness means that he is morally perfect, personally flawless, in words being actions in judgment. And so think of this heavenly scale when God sets the standard of his holiness on one side and our lives on the other, we would all understand that God's holiness and perfection will far outweigh ours. As a matter of fact, Paul writes that there is no one righteous, not even one that would ever tip the scales to be righteous even with the holiness of God. But Paul says we can obtain righteousness. We can obtain the holiness of God by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Romans 4, he later says, verse 22, Therefore it was credited to him, this is Abraham for righteousness, now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It would be credit to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for a trespass and raised for our justification. So this is the good news of the gospel. That it's not just, as we always think, that our past is forgiven. That everything we've done is wiped away, which is true. But that when we are saved, that our lives are are made righteous and we are received the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It's as if this, it's as this we took the test of life and through our grading we see that we get an F, maybe some incompletes, maybe some zeros. Many of us think, oh well then God just writes those F's out of the grade book and, and makes things level. No, it's far greater than that. It's that Jesus Christ himself 
and all that he has ever done is put in our record. He has taken the test for us. He has presented it to God, and we are made righteous in him. It is everything that Christ has done. We now receive, so therefore we have no condemnation. We have no concern for our lives because it is in Christ by faith we have been saved. Paul says that God, this has been revealed from faith to faith. The faith of God now to our faith that we, the righteous live by faith. And this is the rest of the book. That we obtain righteousness, forgiveness, and a relationship with God by faith so that we might live in faith for God. It is said that actually this is the outline of, of, the, of chapters 1 through 8. In chapters 1 through 4, the words faith or believe occurs 25 times. And the words life or to live is only twice where in chapters 5 through 8, it's the exact reverse. So in chapters 1 through 4, we learn how that we obtain righteousness by faith. And chapters 5 through 8, we learn how to live that righteousness by faith. You see, the gospel allows us to be forgiven, to love our enemies, share the gospel, and put others first. But it comes by faith in the Son of God. So do you see why the gospel is important? And vital to understand if you're far from God if you're turning in today to learn more about Jesus Christ God has made a way for you to come near to him God has made a way that only by faith you can trust in his son Jesus Christ if you are saved you have been challenged to see this wonderful gospel message that has saved you is vital for you to share because it is the power of salvation to all. Who is it that you owe a gospel conversation with today? Who is it that you should be both obligated, eager, and unashamed to share this message with? Or maybe it's a clarity for you today that the gospel cannot be mixed with any other idea or way. If you think that you can be saved by your good works or, or even your church attendance, some think that. Well, how is COVID-19 working in that regard for you? That you haven't been able to attend church. Does that mean that you've lost your salvation or that you can't muster up? No, it's not based on goodness. It's, it's based in the faith in the Son of God and His works. Or maybe you think that you can control your own destiny by your decisions to live by your way or how you want to live. Maybe you need to be reminded today that this is the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ. It is faith in Him and the only way for you to be saved. Well, today, brothers and sisters, let us praise God for His gospel. May we see the beauty it is to save us. May we see the nature and reason that we must share it and may we understand that it is a gospel of a gift of faith that we can come reconciled to God let us pray Heavenly Father we are thankful so much for the words of Romans 1 and how we understand that this gospel is important for us to believe and understand that there is no gospel there is no other message that saves May we be reminded of this beauty, how we were saved, how the gospel came to us, maybe through a faithful friend or maybe through our 
faithful church or maybe through a family member. We know that the gospel came to us and by faith we have received it and we were saved. May we understand its power and nature that we may come to Christ, that we may share it so that others may come to believe by the power and the work of Christ in us. May we be faithful to believe. May we be faithful to share. And may we give all praise, glory, and honor to the God and Jesus Christ who saves us in this glorious gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.